0: Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who know better than to make the argument that Jack could have fit on top of the piano with Rose. I'm Hannah Leach. Was that a piano? Why did I think it was, it was like, like a like, door? Um, Maybe. Oh, don't people say, yeah, I think it is a <laughs> door. But to me, it always looked like the thing on like a baby grand.
1: Oh, you know yeah I, I might be right I'm not totally sure I'm not sure either but it's it's wooden it's some wooden thing maybe I don't know wooden floating item yeah. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them.
0: We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are?
1: And today, for our season four finale, we are talking about the one, the only, Titanic. Take a journey. Back in time. In search of a mystery. Locked beneath the sea. This January... You will be given the key. We're going to America. I oh, forget it, Boyle. You'll never get next to the likes of her. Don't
0: come any closer.
1: i let go. No, you won't. You will not to see that boy again.
0: Ah! I'm the king of the world! I think you could put your hands on my fiance. It's not up to you to say. I'm laughing so hard because we've already had a side tangent and we haven't even gone through <laughs> yeah. the intro, which I think is a good indicator of how this episode will probably be overall. I am not exaggerating when I tell you that having put together the notes for this movie and having rewatched the movie has sent me into like a week long obsession. Like, collecting trivia, watching behind-the-scenes videos, um, telling people all the fun facts that I have learned. Like, it is um, now—it's been a lifestyle for me for the past, like, six days, probably.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a black hole of information. You can go as deep as you want. But, like, because this whole film is made by a huge nerd, like— the the layers of facts, they just, they just never stop. It's crazy. It literally, it never ends. And,
0: I mean, you'll hear as we get into this, there is, like, an unbelievable amount to cover. So you just heard a clip of a trailer right before this. But I'm sure this is unsurprising. There are so many different cuts of this trailer out there. Like, because it was a re-release in 2012, but also, like, the original, original trailer was really almost framing it as like an action movie. There's just a lot of different treatments of it. So Mm -hmm. um, I don't know which one Audrey picked, but I hope you enjoyed it.
1: I searched for the original theatrical trailer because at first when I went to download it, it was the 2011 3D re-release trailer. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, no, that's not what I want. So for our hot take of the week, we have an age-old question.
0: Leonardo DiCaprio or Brad Pitt?
1: It's kind of difficult to answer because it's like at what time or like is this their whole lifespan or is this about their work or is this about how they live their life because on the whole I'm going to have to pick Brad Pitt like I'm going to have to for everything. Well I would pick Leonardo but
0: I mostly think that because I don't know if I've ever seen Brad Pitt in literally anything.
1: Yeah, you're not initiated. You're, like, not initiated yeah. into it. Because before I started watching stuff that he's in, I just basically thought he was, like, some Hawkeye guy who dated Jennifer, Anis- Jennifer Aniston. Like, I didn't, like, or Same. was married to her or whatever. And I was like, okay, yeah. I don't know shit. But now, I think partially it was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that that got me thinking about Brad Pitt more and they're in that movie together. Um. And they play best friends. I think he's just got better vibes. I think he's just a better
0: person. (laughs) I I am like certain that current day DiCaprio is like a nightmare probably. But when he was young, especially in Titanic, I have no words. Yeah. You know what I was thinking?
1: And I'm sure everybody on the planet has already thought this before because of like uh, Greta Gerwig's Little Women, but if Titanic was made today, it would have been Timothy and Florence Pugh or even Sersha. Saoirse. Sersha's like distinctiveness would
0: work really well.
1: Yeah. And she's really good at like hating the man and stuff. Yeah. And so. Yeah. There's that. But I don't want a Titanic remake. Please don't.
0: Anyway, I feel as though we should probably get into these facts because there is a truly unbelievable amount of them. (laughs) I'm really excited. I'm really excited. That's my response to the question. (laughs) That's a hype response, so at least we have that. Okay, Titanic was released on December 19th, 1997, even though it was originally scheduled to be released the summer before, but production got pushed back as this movie was absolutely bananas, as we will get into with the rest of these details. The movie was written and directed by the man himself, James Cameron, who uh, is actually responsible for four... No, for three of the top four highest grossing movies of all time. So this man is rich, um, but he's best known for Titanic. Obviously, Avatar, like the 2009 Avatar um, with all of its forthcoming sequels that have weirdly, they're like already on IMDb and they're not coming out till like 2025 or something. All the Terminator movies, which were before Titanic, the TV series Dark Angel and Aliens... And Alien, I think. So, yeah. He hasn't actually made, like, I mean, he's made a lot of stuff, but I feel like because his movies are so large scale and expensive, he doesn't have, like, a r- extremely long list of things that he's made, but... Anyway, everything that I saw about him in my research is that he is, like, kind of a nightmare director because he's so hung up on, like, every single little detail and just very intense, as you would have to be to make movies like this. Um right. So just a little fact about him. And then going into this next chunk, it became really clear to me that basically James Cameron uses the same people for everything over and over again, probably because... He knows that they can like take the heat, but also they're like, I don't know. I feel like you would learn so much from making something like Titanic that it's like, let's just apply all of our knowledge that we've gained and just keep making complicated things. Yeah, and, you know,
1: they definitely have, like, a trust, a real trust. Yeah.
0: So, moving into the producers, there's a lot of producers. So, I kind of just picked the ones that came up the most uh, in all the -the behind-the-scenes material that I watched. Um, So, obviously, James Cameron was one of them. Al Giddings was one of them, who is primarily an underwater cinematographer, which is really cool. Like, his IMDb is all underwater cinematography jobs. He was just the guy through the 80s and 90s for your underwater shit. And then we have Grant Hill, who was the producer and production manager. And then we have John Lando, who does a lot of narrating of the the behind-the-scenes stuff. (laughs) Um, But he has worked with James Cameron on Titanic and Avatar, has also made a shitload of money. And throughout the early 90s, he was the executive vice president of feature film production at 20th Century Fox. So that also makes sense. And then next up, we have Mark Lassoff, who was the visual effects supervisor. But a lot of the more complicated stuff in this movie was created alongside this company, Digital Domain, who... Up, even to this day is the place to get all of your post-CGI shit done. Like, for example, in recent years, they've done the special effects for Spider-Man No Way Home, Black Widow, Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War, Ready Player One, so on and so forth. They've just done a ton of stuff. And I can't get into all of this here because... It, w- it could be its own podcast episode unto itself, but this movie employed and literally invented special effects techniques as needed, including but not limited to scale models, forced perspective, CGI, motion capture extras, and like a million more things. But they like invented the concept of motion capture extras for this movie, which is really cool. Um. <laughs> Can you tell that I've educated myself on Titanic? Um, (laughs) Next up, we have production design by Peter Lamont, which... Also was a huge job because all of the sets were essentially replicas or slightly even nicer than the originals were. But mostly everything was to scale. And a big part of his job was hunting down original silverware, plates, textiles, um, even contacting old factories to replicate their textiles from 1912. (laughs) He just did that. And then next up, we have costume design by Deborah Lynn Scott, And it turns out that 99% of the stuff that was worn by leads and even extras was from the period. So... That is a huge project, and anything that wasn't from the period was, like, hand-designed to a T to be a replica of something from the period. Just, like, the amount of people involved and the amount of locations, like, different places they shot, added up to there being so many members of the production team, including 144 stunt actors, 244 people in camera and electrical, 182 people in the art department, and 171 named cast members, like named characters on IMDb. Mm -hmm. Ooh, so. That's
1: awesome. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's done. I love it. It's cool. It's really cool. Like, Without even getting into what the movie actually is and, like, means to the sleepover cinema genre, just the fact that this was made is just unbelievable. We're almost through with the production <laughs> staff here, but the music was by James Horner, who wrote all of, like, the really iconic themes for the movie. Um, He also did music for Avatar, see a trend here, and The Mask of Zorro and An American Tale.
1: What's with your, why do you hate Avatars so <laughs> Okay, I have never seen
0: Avatar, and I feel like it is, like, bad. Is it good? Have you seen it?
1: I have a really vivid memory of going to see it at the Solon movie theater in seventh grade with, like— In Geneva and some (laughs) random boys or something. Oh, no. And i it's really long, obviously, and seventh graders don't have that long of an attention span. So I think I was intrigued, but I was not. It wasn't really for me personally. I know that this is reductive, but it was just
0: giving me boy movie and I just didn't.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I felt about it. There are some, like, female characters in it that are, like, kind of slaying, but also it's not enough. Right. It's it's not enough. (laughs) Okay, and then my last note about
0: um, the production team or, like, the creative team, which, again, it could be its own episode, and I'm trying to keep it relatively concise, is that, as we all know, Celine Dion sang the signature soundtrack, Banger. And just some fun facts. Of course, my heart will go on. My Heart Will Go On won all of the following awards over 1998 and 1999. Academy Award for Best Original Song, Golden Globe for Best Original Song, Billboard Music Award Single of the Year, four Grammys, including Record of the Year, Song of the Year, Best Female Pop Performance, and Best Song Specifically Written for a Motion Picture or Television. So that alone (laughs) is kind of unreal. And of course... Titanic won 11 Oscars, which I think might come up later in the notes, but just the awards this thing earned were unbelievable. Okay, Audrey, plot synopsis.
1: It's kind of like, I mean, Oscars are on my mind because they happened yesterday. It's kind of like, you know, similar to Dune in some ways. The amount of effort that goes into Titanic or Dune over some of the other Best Picture nominees are just, it's just like not that comparable. So, of course, those movies get piled on with the awards, because honestly, they should. I mean, it's a huge collaborative effort. So even if you don't, like, care about the story, it is just like a feat that it exists. So the plot synopsis for Titanic is a 17-year-old aristocrat falls in love with a kind but poor artist aboard the luxurious, ill-fated RMS Titanic. Yeah. Concise. (laughs) That's good. Two taglines. The first one is, nothing on Earth could come between them. And the second one is, collide with destiny. That's a little dark.
0: (laughs) It's a little dark,
1: but I mean. I mean, but let's let's be real. Titanic does not shy away from dramatic irony in any sense.
0: Like, (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. That is the most consistent thing. That's the whole movie. I'm just going to talk about this cast. And there's something really funny coming up about this. Okay, so we have Leonardo DiCaprio as Jack. I feel like in my mind, there is no one more movie star than him. Like he is the male movie star, but he's best known for Titanic, Inception, The Departed, Wolf of Wall Street, Romeo and Juliet, and What's Eating Gilbert Grape were kind of like his big moments right before Titanic. Next up, we have Kate Winslet as Rose. Obviously, this is one of her, if not the most iconic role of her uh, body of work. But she's also in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Revolutionary Road, Sense and Sensibility. And of course, she plays opposite of Jack Black in The Holiday, which is honestly, it's not okay that I haven't seen that movie. that's messed up. Also, back in the day, people used to tell me that we looked the same, like, which I think is really generous, but it used to come up a lot. I yeah. think I
1: think it was especially blonde hair and dark eyebrows that really yes. brought and like pronounced eyebrows. And then you also do look kind of similar. Like there are mo- like there are moments where I think I still see it now. Wow. Like, I, I so actually much. wrote that down. I I actually did.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. And then also just fun fact, there was like this weird semi-forced single that she released for a movie that she was like a voice actor for. Um, And it's funny. We'll put a clip of it here. If we could only turn that time, but I can Turn it off. Look, turn it off. That's lovely. And she's not proud of it. There's a lot of really funny videos of her being like, turn that shit off. I don't want to hear it. Next, we have Billy Zane as Cal Hockley, the scariest man alive. And he is um, best known for Dead Calm, Back to the Future Part 2, The Phantom, Twin Peaks. And as an entry to the Sleepover Cinema canon, he's the voice of John Rolfe in Pocahontas 2, Journey to a New World. So he's the he's the sexy but problematic white man of the second Pocahontas, which are we surprised? That kind of fits what you would expect, actually. Next we have Kathy Bates as the unsinkable Molly Brown. And she's best known for Misery, Dolores Claiborne, About Schmidt, an American horror story in our minds. And, of course, 1999's Annie, along with our next actor, Victor Garber, who plays the architect of the ship. But there's a lot of, like, random white guys in this movie, and it's honestly hard to remember everyone's name at a certain point. But, of course, Victor Garber is best known for (laughs) Legally Blonde Cinderella, the one that we love with Brandy in it. Best known to us for that. Um, Argo, alias, DC Legends of Tomorrow, Tales of the City, the reboot, because he's gay. And I still can't believe that he's gay and that I didn't know that until (laughs) recently. We should have known better. I know. We should have known better. (laughs) And on that note, he apparently played Judy Garland's husband in a 2001 miniseries. He plays Sid. Like, Sid Luth is his name. And Sid comes out as gay. And that's why the marriage falls apart later on. Okay, so, the numbers. This movie... Cost $200 million to make. And that's after being greenlit for $109 million. (laughs) So at the time, this was the most expensive film ever made. And fun fact adjusted for inflation, interesting side note, adjusted for inflation, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides is the most expensive movie ever made at $435 million. Also, fun fact, it made over a billion dollars. <laughs> I think it's just because of, like, the international draw of it all. Like, that has to be it.
1: Yeah, that is why. Yeah. And the, the franchise had, like, reached critical mass. It's like, it cannot get any bigger than this. Right. It's like, I didn't totally. care about that one. No,
0: me neither. It didn't even have Orlando Bloom or Kiara Knightley in it. Like, I only care about the first one
1: and like... Not that much.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The first one and the second one are good. I feel like I saw the second one and the third one in theaters.
1: I remember you caring about it more than me, for sure. Also, you had Pirates of the Caribbean online. (laughs) Oh, my God, yes. Which was so fun.
0: Which I'm sure that someone out there has played this game, but it's basically like... If you know what an MMORPG is, that's what it is. But it's, like, for kids and as pirates. If you or siblings play, like, play or played World of Warcraft, it's exactly like that, but you're a pirate. Like, it's 3D animated. Um, It was really fun. I bullied Audrey and our friends Nick and Chris into playing it with me, (laughs) and it was really fun. So, back to Titanic. On box office opening weekend, this movie made $28,638,131. I
1: don't really know what the climate was. Like, were they nervous that it wasn't going to make... Enough. I mean, I I would be. They did think it was gonna flop, yeah, like there
0: was a lot of worries about it flopping that I saw in my research. yeah, um but ultimately, I think it was less that they like legitimately thought it was gonna flop and more that they were just like, if this flops, it's gonna be really bad. The movie. Definitely did not flop by the end. And so far, overall worldwide gross for Titanic is $2,201,647,264 and is the third highest grossing movie of all time, only bested by Avengers Endgame, LOL, and Avatar. And it was the first movie ever to reach $1 billion in revenue. So, good fun fact, it was re-released, of course, in 2012, as, like, a 3D version, and it earned $300 million upon re-release. So this thing has made a shitload of money.
1: Yeah. I feel like that's what gives him license to make whatever he wants for the rest of time. Like, the people just throw money at him. So now, the
0: critics. This movie has an 87% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, and the critical consensus is as follows. A mostly unqualified triumph for James Cameron, who offers a dizzying blend of spectacular visuals and old-fashioned melodrama. I don't really know what they mean by mostly unqualified.
1: Because he hadn't made any films before that that had any similarities to Titanic. Like, he had made, like, Alien Encounter or some shit. Like, he made these movies that just weren't, they weren't romances, like... So they it just period. seemed unprecedented. Yeah. yeah.
0: Of course I had to look up Roger Ebert's opinion. And he said, he said a lot, but this is what I chose. James Cameron's 194-minute, $200 million film of The Tragic Voyage is in the tradition of the great Hollywood epics. It is flawlessly crafted, intelligently constructed, strongly acted, and spellbinding. If its story stays well within the traditional formulas for such pictures, well, you don't choose the most expensive film ever as your opportunity to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Uh, movies like and then he said movies like this are not merely difficult to make at all but almost impossible to make well the technical difficulties are so daunting that it's a wonder when the filmmakers are also able to bring the drama and history into proportion I found myself convinced by both the story and the saga and he also really liked the framing device which we'll talk about later it was
1: fresher back then Titanic inspired an entire class of old old person framing device so that's true. That's that's really true. And then
0: I was going to take more critic opinions, but basically all critics were like, "Holy shit, this was so good." And like, "How does this even exist?" People were people were definitely more like swept away by like the technical elements and the scale at the time. This movie won 11 Oscars and it has an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of 69%. And I just picked a couple little excerpts of reviews an absolute classic with so much emotion heart and a spirit of adventure Titanic is a true classic with some masterclass performances its pace can be a bit tedious for some but I had no issue with it the score is such a classic too a must see then another one without doubt this is a successful commercial film (laughs) thank you very much and then this movie is so well done that it takes quite a long time before we realize that it is a bad movie Boo. Boo. I don't even know what that means. So the gossip section. I instead made this gossip about the movie itself. As I said earlier, like before the movie came out, it was already kind of like a joke in the press that it was like so big and kept getting pushed off. And um, it was very much like hot goss that this movie might flop, that it's costing so much money, blah, blah, blah. The second thing is there's like this epic story about, The fact that during production, someone spiked the catered meal of, like, clam chowder with PCP, which is a hallucinogen. People also call it pixie dust. So a huge portion of the production staff was just, like, uh, drugged, and they never figured out who did it. This movie, as I said earlier, heavily contributed to James Cameron's rep as being scary and intense because of everything we've already said. Kate Winslet was going through it throughout filming this whole thing, but especially during all of the water sequences because she had this really thin dress, as you might remember, that she, like, had to do all the water action in. And because they were so concerned about the way that it would look and the way it would move, she did not get to wear a wetsuit underneath, whereas basically everyone else did get to wear a wetsuit underneath which is funny because people always talk about how DiCaprio was so bothered shooting this movie, but her experience was like way, way worse. She also had a chipped elbow during that whole, like a chipped elbow bone during that whole section. So she was suffering. And uh, I took this little excerpt from an interview with her about this situation. When it came to talking about the reportedly arduous production of the film and the matter of DiCaprio being miserable on set, Winslet said, I remember, I remember that he was... It wasn't pleasant for any of us, but we were all in it together. Though he had way more days off than I ever bloody did, I guess I was raised to be grateful and just get on with it. I didn't feel like it was my right to be miserable.
1: Anybody would, like, love to do, you know, anybody in, in the arts anyway would, like, love to do what she's yeah. doing. And just to even see it, not even to star in it, but just to even witness that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it
0: did look really brutal, though.
1: Like yeah, but everything. you know you're getting paid properly, yeah. and and they yeah I, I watched this interview that was like her talking about underwater sequences where um, you know when they're trying to get past the gate and the water is rising and it's shit is getting dire there uh, somehow there were people under like underneath that stage or something who were able to like make sure that her um, dress and heels didn't get caught on the gate itself. Like, she was talking about some, some issue regarding that and how, you know, as an actor, like, you, sometimes you can't convince your brain that things aren't happening to you, even though you know it's fake. And, um, she said that, like, she felt kind of traumatized by it, but she knew that, like, the precautions were in place and that, the safety of the film actually was really good. And then my last little fact that I thought was really weird is that
0: Kate and, I'm going to call him DiCaprio because I can't say his name, that Kate and um, DiCaprio's chemistry is, like, so strong that a lot of people are like, do they actually love each other? Like, what's going on? And all they've ever said is that they're, like, best, best friends, and they've been friends for a long time. But I also discovered that DiCaprio walked Kate down the aisle at her wedding... Which I found to be really weird, but um, I don't know them. I don't know their life, and I don't know their deal. But I thought that that was weird. Last time we watched the movie,
1: things we remember from childhood. I do recall that we got, we had a VHS copy of the movie. And of course, because it's so long, it was split in two. So it was like two tapes. Yes. And, um... I had heard about Titanic and stuff, but I had never seen it. And then I don't think I really intended on watching it because I knew that it was sad. Like, I knew the ending, obviously. So, one time we did watch it together, I think, and I just, like, purposefully left at the halfway (laughs) halfway point. I was like, okay. I watched the happy movie version, and then I didn't actually watch it all the way through until... I don't know, maybe like 2017, something like that. Yeah, the way you just said like the happy half of the movie
0: that reminds me of the Sound of Music <laughs> too. Yeah, I'm the one who got the double VHS. I'm pretty sure I got it from the exchange in eighth grade or ninth grade. It's just like a like a discount uh like media store like video games, CDs, records, uh like sometimes even like merch, but this was when like VHSs and DVDs were like a lot less obsolete than they are now because it was like 2009, 2008. Like they were on the way out, but it wasn't like out, out yet. So yeah, I got it from the exchange and I'm pretty sure it was like $4 or something. And again, I'd heard of this movie and I watched it for the first time alone in our basement. This movie eviscerated me in a way that I never could have expected or predicted. Like, it wrecked my life. (laughs) Like, it is, it was so much. And also, I think watching it alone probably made it, like, a lot worse than it needed to be. I was, like, crying in a way that I did not know a movie could make me cry. So, I definitely remember that. And this was also, I'm pretty sure, the first time I ever saw nudity in a movie. So, I was kind of gagged at that. It's so classy, though. Yeah. I know. It's so classy. It holds up so well. We'll talk about that once we get to it. All right. So I'm kind of scared to even talk about this, considering my track record with how I've been getting movies that we watch. (laughs) But, Audrey, where did you watch this movie? I
1: think I actually did have to rent it. I don't remember where I rented it from, but I did. Yeah. Okay.
0: I rented it also. Mm -hmm. It was a... It was a cool $4, and I did not watch this all-in-one sitting because I couldn't take it, but I did do it within 48 hours because it expires if you wait that long. So I watched it all at once. That's what I did.
1: I watched it all at once.
0: You're built built different, though. (laughs) Your attention span is literally unrivaled (laughs) by anyone I know. Like,
1: the way you can just sit down and edit things. If you have, you know, a snack or something to bring you through it, it's not <laughs> so bad.
0: If you have Cheez-Its on deck.
1: Yeah. Snack is
0: a good strategy. I haven't thought of that before.
1: Well, it's dangerous. It's it's a good strategy, <laughs> yeah. but it's very dangerous because you might just look over and realize that the bag is empty <laughs> <laughs> and now you have like a giant portion of carbs just sitting in your stomach (laughs) yeah 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 so you gotta be careful okay so uh clear your
0: schedule for the next three to four hours (laughs) which is the extra time you'll need to recoup um and meet us back here for what is sure to be a lively discussion of titanic Hey, everyone, we are back and it is time to assess our findings after rewatching 1997's classic
1: Titanic. Audrey, where should we start? We already kind of mentioned the framing device thing, but... We definitely have called attention to it with The Notebook and, like, just different movies we've covered this season. And so I was really trying to take note of how emotionally manipulated I might be. (laughs) I might be because of the framing device. And in this case, very emotionally (laughs) manipulated. I just believe in my heart that Jack could have fit on that thing. Jack could have fit on that door, piano, whatever it is. Like, she's not taking up all of the space. And, you know, she could have at least offered, like, do you want to take turns or whatever? But because the men in this movie are so like, we must protect Rose. Rose has to, like, the part when Jack is about to die and he's like, you're going to go on and have a bunch of babies and stuff. I'm like, you really don't, you really don't value your own life that much. Like he does not value his life at all. And he values hers like a million times more. Two things. First of all, I
0: hate that we're even talking about the fucking door thing, but I'm pretty sure because when they arrive there, he does try to get on it too. But the problem is it's too much weight and it sinks into the water. Right. Yeah. So it's
1: like this thing of like, it's worse for both of them if they are both on it. But the take but, and turn. But, thing. Okay, 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 okay. I just
0: want to speak to what you were saying with the men, or him especially, being very, like, self-sacrificing. One of the things that I really loved about this movie upon rewatching it is that, A, he's like a manic pixie dream boy. That was my next note.
1: That was my next note. Uh-huh. It was literally, I think Jack yeah. is a manic pixie dream boy. And then, yeah. yeah but Because he is. Um, the whole movie
0: is, like, way more female gaze-y yeah. than I remember. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
1: Which I the, like. Well, it's- I mean, it literally is female gaze because it's Rose's memory. Right. <laughs> so it's yeah. exactly how she sees things, which I love, too. Yeah, I, I don't have problems with that. Yeah. But, like, just sometimes it was a little shocking to me just how much... <laughs> they valued her life over their own. The only other thing I had under Notable was that watching this movie on day one of my period was a giant, giant mistake.
0: Because <laughs> you were already going I through had, it. I
1: would already cried that day. I was like, <laughs> what am I doing? So my Notable
0: things, kind of my first question was like, why is this such an important historical event? Because not that, I mean, uh, okay, not to be Vanessa Hudgens about it, but, like, not that many people died relative to, like, other mm-hmm. tragedies in the world. And I kind of wonder if it's such a big thing because it is, like, a bunch of, like, old, rich white people that died. Like, is it is it such a big deal because of, like, obviously, like, the grandeur of it all mm-hmm. and it falling apart is very, like, kind of, like, schadenfreude a little bit, but also like no one's like gunning for the Titanic just right. saying like, why would you but want also, that?
1: But I, also I thought about that too. The fact that it was a complete accident, like it was not supposed to happen that way versus like you think of big, maybe terror events like 9-11 or so, things like that where yeah, um, it was planned. It, it was a planned yeah. attack versus this where it's like ill-fated. It's like tragically... Right accidental yeah and yeah of course the fact that everybody on the boat was like glam and stuff it's just like easier to it's easier and slash you're able to like romanticize Titanic you Uh can't do that with other tragic events in the same way
0: and question about the framing device so you know how like initially it's very like we're here because we're looking for the heart of the ocean. Like we're basically being pirates. I was like, so is this like a double entendre on like greedy men, where like the framing device is about greedy men, and also the Titanic going down was because of greedy men? Like, is that
1: on purpose? I think so. Uh, yeah, because the the men in yeah. the framing device learn, you know, it's it's a vague learning. But it is a learning. Very vague. They're really, like, disturbing the environment of the Titanic. Like, there's something that just feels really yeah. sacrilege about that. Like, yeah, to, to go in there with these machines and they're all, like, greedy and they're just, like, tearing through history. It it feels yeah. really wrong. And then by the end, they're, like, you know, weepy and, like, they're, like, living for the story, basically. And so I guess they yeah. learn their lesson. <laughs> Is it implied, okay,
0: so before they crash into the iceberg, the, the two lookout guys are like looking down at Jack and Rose making out on the deck. So is it implied that they didn't see the iceberg because they were watching Jack no. and Rose make out? No. Okay.
1: Because they okay. <laughs> sprinkle in they sprinkle in all these moments of you know the staff of of the Titanic being like, did 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 you find the binoculars? Have you been on the lookout? Right. What are you doing? And they're all just like, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so by that point, they're just like fucked. By the point that that happens, I also wrote down. So they were speeding
0: because capitalism? Question mark. Yes. I guess
1: yeah because I don't know how true that part of it is like was the was the the guy who owned the liner really peer pressuring the captain to turn on all the um, engines like was that a thing yeah. and was well, it wouldn't be peer pressure. It would just be pressure. Yeah, it would just be a, a demand, basically. That's pretty much what it was. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if yeah. that was just added for cinematic value. Because if so, like, it was, it worked. I think that we should go to bad next. Okay. Right off the bat, I've talked about this before for other movies. And I, they do it on purpose, but I hate when shots that weren't filmed for slow motion, like at the proper frames per second, are slowed down to be this choppy thing, and like a lot of sometimes oh, they do it on purpose. Like, and I, I'm sure that was probably the case here, but I hate that, and and that happens like really close to the beginning. I had to, I had a thought that maybe in the in the writing, and it's possible this isn't a del- this stuff is in a deleted scene because there are a ton of deleted scenes for Titanic, a ton. But yeah. I felt... Did they release them? Yeah. They're they're on the internet for the most part. Um, yeah. I thought that they could have maybe done more in the beginning to illustrate Rose actually being suicidal. Like, to the point where she would yeah. actually chuck herself off of the Titanic because... All you get, Fuck. all you get is her, Damn. like, sitting at the dinner table, like, staring into space with a voiceover. Right. And then it literally cuts yeah. right to her running to, to chuck herself off the Titanic. I wrote down,
0: bro, I forgot about the literal suicide attempt. But, dot, 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 Growth? I guess it sets her up to, like, have this growth arc. It's, like, she's literally ready to throw away her life at the beginning and then by the end she's, like, literally f- fighting for her life.
1: Yeah, true. Um,
0: there's that. Yeah, no, it but works.
1: still, I agree. Yeah, like, it works. I just think, and I realize the movie's so long, there probably are more scenes of that to just build it out a little yeah. bit more. But they just don't mess yeah. around with that cut. Like, I really, really must know what... Is going on with Cal's eyebrows. And his eyes. His eyeliner. His like guy liner looking situation. There's something really bizarre going on with his eyebrows and his eyes and his hair. I hate the thing where they're in the basement. They're they're in the like party of the the common people. And she like goes on her tippy toes. Like she like stands on her toes on point. It's like. No, that's not possible.
0: I wrote down, I wrote down going on point would not be dazzling to those guys.
1: It would not be impressive. Um, also, just no. the way, because the only way that people can do that without um, a, a point shoe or without a shoe on is if your toes curl under and you're basically standing on the knuckles right. of your toes. Yeah. You can't literally stand on toes like that are you sure yeah i'm sure that's physically impossible because (laughs) your toes are not a straight line yeah but like you can't put all of your weight without a point shoe or without anything you cannot put all of your weight on just your big toe that is not possible how do you know though Because nobody has ever done that in the history. How do you know, though? Have you looked it up? I I find it interesting that you're asking.
0: I'm not trying to troll you. I'm not trying to troll you. I just wonder why would they do that if it was impossible.
1: When you saw that, you thought it was real.
0: No, I didn't think it was real, (laughs) but I didn't think it was a physical
1: impossibility for anyone on Earth. I mean, hey, maybe somebody with really flat toes has done it. Um, and I, I also mentioned this in the first half, but sometimes the dramatic irony makes me laugh. Like sometimes.
0: I hate all the obvious dramatic irony. Like the Picasso thing in the beginning is so annoying. And like the Monet thing. It's like, we know <laughs> we get it. Like, you don't have to be like, hmm, this Picasso fellow, <laughs> I wonder what'll come of him. Like we already know, like it's too much. It's like the whole crux of the shit is dramatic irony already. Especially when it's everyone's like this unsinkable ship, like look at us with our riches on here. Yeah. It's like, okay, we know we really know. Also just walking back slightly. I really did not like how bro the undersea excavator guys were. I was just like, why do you have to be bro on top of it all? That was just annoying. I found it a little bit confusing slash suspect when, okay, you know how after Jack like saves her from the suicide attempt and then there's that whole like fake weird sexual assault thing, whatever, we don't even really, maybe we'll talk about that later, maybe we won't. But then when she and Jack are like hanging out on the first class thing, like the deck and... She's, like, clearly so desperate to, like, speak with someone honestly about the circumstances of her life. And then he's like, okay, but do you love him? And she, like, flips out. I'm like, wait, but weren't you just giving him, like, 100% unfiltered commentary? Like, why all of a sudden would this bother you? It's because of
1: her, like, her programming. Like, that's what they're trying to demonstrate through this dialogue. I just don't think it's necessarily done that well because it it is like on a dime like it's she swi- the the flip is switched really fast um but i yeah. think i i think
0: you mean the switch is flipped <laughs>
1: yeah but it goes either way like i can sort of think it's bad writing but i could also justify it if i tried like just her being yes. able to like get triggered really fast cuz you the truth of the matter is she it does have an aristocratic programming like that's who she is and she's trying to fight that but when somebody comes for her lifestyle like it's like she can say it but she doesn't want somebody to reflect that back to her you know yeah but he wasn't coming for her lifestyle he was coming for her feelings right but she's like protective over because she like she knows she doesn't love him but if somebody else can see that like, that's going to be a problem for her because she knows that it's her only option to keep money in the family. Like, she's like, this is what I have to do.
0: Yeah, I So guess. she doesn't want somebody to be like,
1: you don't love him and you're going to be miserable, aren't you?
0: This whole section of the movie when they're like bonding and getting to know each other. If it's such a secret that she is like fraternizing with this guy, then why are they just like having a good old time on the first class deck in front of everyone all the time?
1: I, I think yeah, the illusion is that nobody around knows them somehow. I also think that the uh, when they're
0: having sex in the car and the level of sweat Yeah, it's <laughs> like implied It's like damn it's like you guys are really putting in work in there. Yeah.
1: Like if you're a kid and you see this movie, like what you think it would be like, <laughs> like Yeah, you yeah, will yeah. be You're like I gotta bring a drenched. Drenched. Head to head toe. toe. Like, like droplets. Like, like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> like you will be dripping sweat from having sex. Yeah. And it's implied that it's the first time she's had sex, I think. Yeah, kind of. They don't really say. They don't really fully say. I felt like it, it was just the first time they had
1: sex. I yeah. Guess. Okay. So should we talk about the good things? I love attention to detail in movies, and there's so many period pieces where shit is just not right. And you can tell it's not right without even being an expert. Like it's that bad where you know yeah. it's not correct. And so I can totally appreciate the fact that James Cameron, I, I'm pretty sure the entire like initiative and reason he made this movie is because he he has a personal interest in Titanic and in boats and in just yeah. certain niches, uh certain. <laughs> topics. And so that's what like even inspired him to do this whole thing. And so I love that everything is as accurate as it possibly could be. And that I'm sure there's, as since you said, there was like over a hundred named characters who I'm sure were people who are yeah. actually on the boat that lend, that sort of like realism lends itself to like a better movie. And that is information that We're not even going to know. Like, it kind of reminds me of, like, improv troupes. Like, like, where they all have to come up with their own character. Like, they might have somebody to base it off of or something, but they have to come up with their entire, like, canon of who they are. Oh, you mean improv troupes, like, at intermission for
0: a high school musical? Yeah, 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 yeah. Got it, got it, got it. That
1: is something that our school did our high school called it improv troupe and basically what it it's really cruel honestly <laughs> but basically what it, it was is. it's nice on one hand because then like people who wouldn't get cast at all might get a chance to be a part yeah. of it which is good it'd be like whenever we did a, a play that had a small cast they would like add an improv troupe to Inter to, like, interact with the audience members during intermission and, like, talk to them about what's going on in the play. Literally a nightmare <laughs> scenario. So, honestly, yeah, nightmare scenario, but, like, that's what the extras in Titanic remind me of. Like, the, they, yes. they just have all this head, uh, like, head canon and, like, nobody knows about
0: it. <laughs> the primary difference being that With the Titanic, you're in a highly immersive environment. And with high school improv troops, you're wearing a suit that's too big (laughs) for you in the hallway outside the choir room. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad I was in one of those one time. I hated it so much. It was so
1: humiliating. When they start playing wedding dance on the boat, on the deck of the ship, like the orchestra dudes, they're like, we're going to play music so people don't panic. It's like the most... It's so emotionally manipulative because obviously strings, there's strings that are diegetic and it's at complete odds with what's going on in the story. Yeah. Victor Garber's character shatters me. I know. And the fact that he actually did go down with the ship, that is really noble. It's kind of, it is really sad, but at the same time, I respect that. I kind of respect yeah. that a lot versus like the greedy liner owner dude who did escape on a boat and um, yeah, like the captain went down, the architect went down and like the people who only cared about money got out.
0: Yeah. I thought on the Victor Garber note, I I definitely noticed that in the very, very last scene, like the fantasy wedding sequence. Yeah. That when <laughs> they're. <so> featured. <laughs> that, I know, he's like this, he's like ranked number two man <laughs> in the whole movie. <laughs> and I was like, that, like right on, but it did make me laugh. Yeah. I was like, of course, he's somehow man number two. I mean, there's
1: just, there's a kinship between Rose and him. Like, they get each other on yeah. some level that the other rich people don't get her. And yeah, it's sweet.
0: God damn, this movie is so upsetting. Uh, okay, some of these are like little mini things. Like, I really loved that when Rose, um, like old Rose, goes to the present day boat, she brings like all of her shit, like her little pets and her clothes and her like, like her comforts from home. I thought that was like really cute. Kate and Leo, their chemistry is unbelievable. They're both so hot. They can, they just. No notes.
1: I was almost wondering if you were going to not enjoy their chemistry because it seems like every time we talk about chemistry, you're like, no, I don't buy it.
0: Oh, I buy it. In fact, I wrote down, this is the strongest argument for heterosexuality I've ever (laughs) seen. It's true. (laughs) Like, it's so good. Okay. I also really, really love that... Cal's, like, initial feeling threatened comes from the fact that he has, like, absolutely no swag or ability to charm Rose, like, at all. And, like, it starts from a place of, like, actual personal, like, micro-insecurity about something that can't be measured in, like, a dollar amount. Yeah. Um, and then escalates into this huge thing. I thought that, like, the ramp-up of his issues or whatever was pretty good, except the table smack... Is wild. Yeah. One of my thesis statements about this movie and why it's so successful from a story perspective, especially as a entry into the sleepover cinema canon, is that the thing that keeps us coming back <laughs> is how seriously Jack takes all of Rose's feelings yeah. and how much he insists that her problems are real and hold weight, even when she feels insecure about it. Yeah. He has no money. No, like real prospects to speak of, and still at the same time can be like you're more than just this rich girl. But he's like, no, I see you, and I see how you're feeling. And pain is not there's not like a scale of like fake pain mm-hmm. to real pain. It's like it's everyone's like she's experience having, is having guilt. Like,
1: she's experiencing severe guilt, yeah. um, for everything yeah. that she has and not being happy, like not being content. And you know what? That's what the Notebook was trying to do.
0: Absolutely, the notebook clearly was trying to be Titanic in a lot of ways, like old person framing device, period piece, uh, rich girl, poor boy, like, (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I will post this on Instagram, but Kate Winslet's first screen test for Titanic. Do you know who she was playing opposite? This is so random. The guy who who plays Elton in Clueless, Jeremy Sisto. That's interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, he's not it. He's clearly not it, but he's trying his hardest. I also really love that in this
0: movie that Rose is the horny one and Jack is the emotional one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just feel like that's so... I, I didn't even realize that it was like that until I was watching it again this time. It had been a while since I had watched it. And I just feel like there's a lot of gender roles that are flipped. Yeah. Um, especially, like, Hollywood gender roles that are flipped. Like, the self-sacrificing thing, the patience thing, the, like, qualifying someone's problems that may not necessarily objectively be that bad of a problem.
1: You know what I thought was really interesting— um that i didn't re- that i didn't remember about the movie is that old rose she says at some point in the movie i think near the end that she never told anybody about jack existing yeah. Um. Because you think about it, you're like, oh, my God, how could she possibly go, eight, you know, 50 years and never talk about him? And then you think about how fast this whole thing happened. Nobody knows Jack. Yeah. You know, it's something that happened, like, it's between her and Jack and, like, 50% of that memory doesn't exist anymore. Like, she could never— Yeah she could never portray that to anybody else and have them understand. And like, would it even be valuable for them to know? That was one of the
0: things that I wrote down about this movie, which like, I definitely, this is like a a thing that I have, that's been rolling around in my mind for like years at this point. Um, and I kind of first had this thought Um, when obviously my ex-boyfriend didn't die, but, um, (laughs) when we broke up, there was so much that happened between us that like no one ever saw because he lived like super far away from everyone. And there was like all this, all these super isolated events that were like super meaningful to me, but like, I would never be able to explain to anyone. And I remember like a, like a salve for that was just saying to myself, like, I will own these memories for as long as I choose to, like, still um, give them power or, like, honor them or whatever. And I sort of feel like this movie and, like, the whole point of it is, like, that's how you move on is, like, you embrace what, whatever this person has left you with and find a way to, like, appreciate it even though you can't get more of it Mm -hmm. anymore And I think that's kind of what makes it relatable, even to people that haven't, like, had an actual loss of a loved one. Is that it's just, like, a really optimistic in some ways, like, portrayal of, um, like, moving on. Like, how you move on after tragedy. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, man. It's so depressing, though. (laughs) (laughs) There was something else that was worth saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also just feel like the thing that makes this movie good is – or the thing that makes it so impactful is that, like, the action is just as powerful as the tragedy, which is just as powerful as the love story. Like, there isn't anything that outweighs, which is super impressive and hard to do.
1: Yeah. Cal. Cal is really (laughs) repping for the single dads of 1912. (laughs) <laughs> um, when he picks up some random child just to get on a lifeboat because he's a coward and he sucks yep speaking yep. of that general moment when the one dude working on the boat shoots himself because he accidentally he like shot another guy, do you know what I'm talking yeah. about that part is really underrated. Yeah. I feel like that part yeah is it was really shocking. But you know where it's going to go as soon as you see the look on his face. Also, like, the despondent captain is really sad and how he just basically stops talking to people, goes in the room with the steering wheel and just lets it happen. Drowning is really scary. I don't like, I don't like that. Some, it seems that some people on the boat were really, like. It is what it is. <laughs>
0: like, right, right. Like, but like drowning is not a good way to go. No, drowning's
1: not a good way to go because you have to experience that. It's not quick. Like if you know your fate, you. And it, it seems that all the people that worked on the boat really did accept their fate. They knew they weren't going to get on. They weren't going to get off on a lifeboat because they weren't patrons of this <laughs> boat. Like they worked yeah. on it. And like all the guys working in the engine room thing it gets so stressful it really cannot emphasize enough yeah you
0: know it's really stomach turning like if you really think about it like the reality of it it's like too much yeah like it gets so overwhelming so quickly I did a list of cry count the moments that destroy me in this movie if I may It's the fireworks shot. It's when she's going down in the boat and she's looking up at him and there's like the, not fireworks, but like the distress flare going off. And then she gets out of the boat and then they go and they reunite. Yeah. No, ma'am. I can't handle it. It's too much. Because you're like, oh, maybe they will be together. But like, you know. And the crazy thing is, you watch this movie and every single time... You think he's going to live. (laughs) Yeah, like every time you think he's going to live, like it's just, that's why you can't watch this movie very often because it's like ravaging. To this day, it is ravaging. Children being put to bed by their parents.
1: That got me old people. Yeah, obviously. It's created to get you though. I'm like I'm almost mad. I'm like, yeah. You you are <laughs> Yeah, manipulating me, but I'm okay with it. No, it's so <laughs> it's so manipulative, but it's like so cathartic
0: also. It's like
1: there's nothing more and there's, the thing is, there's nothing ugh. more like powerful than watching humans accept their fate. Because that is something that literally nobody nobody wants to do. And and is the reason why humans do keep living, because they always find a way, you know, as long as possible. Yeah. And so to see a mother of two just like accept her fate like that and is really insane. It's disturbing. (laughs) It's disturbing, honestly. (laughs) Are you gonna cry? Ah! Listen, you should cry. Literally, yeah. It's the season finale. It's too much. It's too much. (sighs) This movie destroys me
0: literally every time.
1: Yes, finally, we Uh. have tears. (laughs) When I was saying that about the mom, I also teared up, but I was like, Audrey, don't do it. You have face gems on. I could see you tearing up. I was like, don't do it. That's what made me cry. That's what made you... Yeah, you... (laughs) (laughs)
0: putting face gems on was a really (laughs) bold decision for this episode I'm kind of impressed yeah that you would even make that choice well
1: you know it's my slight nod to the heart of the ocean or whatever it's called (laughs) yeah
0: they should have been blue they they are blue they
1: are blue I loved how I was like
0: Here's the list of times that made me cry. I'm not going to cry reading the list of things that made me cry. So stupid. Obviously drifting down into the water. That shit disturbed me. When she lets go of Jack, the first time I watched that, I was like, I'm never recovering. As for dated and problematic, I don't really have that much. But what do you have? I was surprised by the fact that I didn't have that much.
1: Yeah, I mean... Because it's based on a true event, for the most part, the the way that things are is reflective of how it was on the boat. So right. there's not much to talk about in regards to, like, creative license in yeah. that way. Yeah. Um. But <laughs> there is a line that Jack says that I thought was really funny. It's not problematic. I just thought it was funny. Where he's like. She was a one-legged prostitute with a good sense of humor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I originally wrote that down under problematic, but then I was like, "Is it problematic?" And the only reason why it could potentially be considered that is just that she's like, "Oh, did you have an affair with her?" And he was like, "No, no, no. She was a one-legged prostitute." Right. And it's like, yeah. And oh, okay. Like dismissing
1: her. <laughs> right. So
0: she's not fuckable, is what you're saying. She's a prostitute, you- so clearly she is fuckable
1: when you used her for your art sir that is <laughs> that is dated and problematic and then something i was just curious about is like were there black people on the titanic and if so why are they not here mm-hmm. so i looked into it and not just black people but just any people of color in general i looked it up and there were three passengers with african descent on The Titanic. Wow. And one of them was named Joseph-Philippe Le Mercier (laughs) La Roche. Joseph-Philippe Le Mercier La Roche was a Haitian engineer. He was one of only three passengers of known African ancestry, the other two being his children, on the ill-fated voyage of RMS Titanic. He put his pregnant French wife and their two daughters onto a lifeboat. They survived, but he did not. Louise LaRoche was one of the last remaining survivors of the sinking of Titanic and she passed away in 1998. The fact that there's stories like that with Titanic and then James Cameron is basically just making up a new romance for this story when like there are real, Mm -hmm. real stories that he could have Mm -hmm. used as the main. Um, I just think that's kind of an oversight i don't know like this this story is so interesting yeah i mean i don't know because it's like
0: how how like constrained do you want to be by history like obviously he already did a lot to make it period accurate and like true to what history exists um I I guess what I'm saying is I don't know if it makes it problematic, but it does just point out a particular choice that he made.
1: Um, do you want to hear a little bit more about their voyage? <laughs> sure. Um, You're okay, like, would you like to learn more? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. So, Laroche's mother sent the family tickets to return to Haiti aboard the La France ship. However, the ocean liner's policy banning children dining with their parents in the dining room led Laroche to exchange their first-class tickets for the La France for second-class tickets on the Titanic.
0: Mm. Which
1: sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunate, um, because he just wanted to eat with his children and then it ended up costing him his life. Shortly after Titanic struck the iceberg at 1140 p.m. on April 14th, Joseph woke Juliet and told her that the ship had suffered an accident. He put all of their valuables in his pockets and he and his wife carried each of their sleeping daughters to the ship's top deck. Uh It is not known for sure which lifeboat Juliet and her daughters boarded, although Juliet remembered a countess being in her lifeboat. There was a countess, Noelle Leslie, countess of... Of Roth, on board the ship who escaped in lifeboat eight so it is likely that juliet simone and louise all escaped aboard this lifeboat or may have been on lifeboat eight although wow. joseph died in the sinking of titanic his body was never recovered uh, <sighs> later in the morning of april 15th julia and her daughters were rescued by rms carpathia the two young sisters were hauled up to the deck in burlap's On board Carpathia, Juliet found it very hard to get linens, which she could use as diapers for her children. Since there were none to spare, Juliet improvised, and at the end of each meal, she would sit on napkins, conceal them, and make diapers out of them after returning to the cabin." Carpathia wow. arrived in New York City on April 18th. Since there was no one there to meet Juliet and her daughters, Juliet decided not to continue to Haiti. Instead, she returned her she returned her family in Villeneuve, France. Mm-hmm. The family arrived the next month, and it was there that Juliet gave birth to her son. She named Ugh. her son Joseph in honor of his late father. Wow. So she was pregnant the whole time, too? Yes. And also interesting to note here is that Julia is white from what I can tell. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, it is interesting. Oh, my God. That's a really good story. That's what I'm saying. This sounds (laughs) equally compelling, if not more so. Well,
0: like. no, totally. I but I will say that in this case, I don't think that James Cameron would be the right person to <laughs> yeah, tell <no>. that story.
1: <laughs> no, he um, wouldn't, but what a great what a giant platform it would have been. Like Totally, totally. Wow. Good historian work,
0: Audrey. Dang. That's like great. <laughs> It's like that meme where people talk about, like, people getting on their podcasts and, like, espousing history, a.k.a. Yeah. reading straight from <laughs> Wikipedia. You
1: know yeah, what? Like, I'm really <laughs> putting in the work. And then finally, <laughs> my last idea here is mm-hmm. I just want to know, and it, I guess it's somewhat impossible to know, if women... In general, but also, like, these privileged women like um, Rose and her mom, would they have spoken so plainly about being disenfranchised as women? Like, I think sometimes it just comes out super um, plainly in the dialogue because the person writing it is a man in, like, the 90s. So it's just,
0: it's just
1: different. But I want... Like, there's no way they were walking around being like, we're women. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that part, that part. I was like, uh,
0: seems like a reach, but like, go for it, I guess. Yeah, well, it kind of, you know, it's like one of the cornier parts of the screenplay, and there are kind of a lot of corny parts. Speaking to the overall dramatic irony situation, I think also what makes... This movie's so powerful, and I feel like—and keep in mind, I know it's corny to love (laughs) Titanic. I know it's cliche, but, like, this movie really is so fucking good.
1: I'm sorry to the haters, but I'm not sorry to the haters because this movie is so good. Uh, Honestly, there are no Titanic haters who have actually watched the movie, like, if we're being honest. So, okay, like, you watch Titanic— you know,
0: they're going to go down. You kind of, and you kind of touched on this earlier. Like, you know, they're going to go down, but everyone still does whatever they're going to do. Like, they're going to live their life. It's like when you said the thing about, like, humanity, like, people wanting to live no matter what. Like,
1: in life, you know you're going to yeah, die. Yeah, it's the same. It's but it doesn't the same. stop It's you. like a microcosm. It's like a mini example of the large. Yeah. yeah. The the whole thing. Yeah. You could be nihilistic just about make, it, or you could choose to yeah to live anyway, like to put your heart into things. Yeah. yeah,
0: and like especially when you have like a like a closer proximity to death or like these super traumatic experiences, like it makes it even harder to choose to like live life to the fullest or like to choose light, basically. And I feel like Rose's whole thing of like. Choosing life even after losing someone that she loves so much is just like that's the optimistic part. Like that's what makes the movie not one hundred percent ravaging, yeah.
1: and also not that. like a full tragedy, like not a full Romeo and Juliet. But a part of it, but a part of
0: it that is so upsetting is the fact that they don't get to be together even in death. It's like she and but again, that's what makes it the female gaze movie. Yeah. That's what makes it the the female. POV,
1: you know everybody like kind of parodies or you know remembers the like draw me like one of your French girls moments and the the whole drawing oh, yeah we don't even talk drawing about that. scene but that yeah. scene is genuinely great like that scene it's so is great and it's like of course anything that's a huge pop culture moment like will get parodied and it'll get watered down till all you remember is just like the line or whatever but when you actually yeah. like reimmerse yourself into that it's It's so sensual, the whole thing. Yeah. It's, like, tasteful. He's kind of
0: flustered, but, like, in a subtle way. It's not, like, they immediately have sex in that room right then. Like, it's very, again, it's, like, she is the brave, like, he's brave, but in terms of, like, personal power, she becomes a lot braver throughout the course of the story. And that's a really good example of how. I fucking love this movie. And there is a reason why it is so beloved to this day. Would I want to watch it at a sleepover? No, because I would embarrass no. myself the way I just did earlier.
1: <laughs> so is it worthwhile? Yes, of course. It's worthwhile. Every minute of this movie costs a million dollars.
0: So, yes. (laughs) And it was worth it, in my opinion. I mean, clearly it was worth it financially in the end, but also just as a contribution to culture in general, I'm very grateful that this movie exists. Yeah,
1: me too. And nobody is ever going to replicate it the same way. So, fuck y'all who are going to (laughs) try.
0: Okay, I feel like I could keep going on about this forever, but like obviously this is already like (laughs) the double length special to end all specials. So this marks the end of season four of Sleepover, which is wild. We've done a lot of these, but we do not plan on stopping anytime soon. And we will be back with new episodes in a few weeks we have not determined how many weeks yet because, you know, it's a grind. Yeah. It's, it's really a grind. A grind. And
1: um, we got, some of you might have seen on YouTube or like our various social medias, but we're about to show our documentary at a festival that's mm-hmm. happening. And we may or may not be having a fun rebrand moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. also we need to live stream Hannah's play. So like, I feel like, yeah, that will probably get that stuff out of the way before starting again.
0: You can keep supporting our <laughs> ventures, but we will not be having episodes for a few weeks. But we will be back and um, I cannot wait to be back. This is always a good time. And Audrey, it
1: was great chatting with you today. <laughs> what, a, what a talk. As always, our merch is still a thing that still exists.
0: If you haven't left us a review on Apple Podcasts, but you like us, you should because it would be nice.
1: (laughs) It helps us too. It helps us a lot, not only to combat the haters, but also to know how many people (laughs) are actively listening. And what they think. Yes. And we're always open for new hot takes of the week because I have run out. I'm at the bottom of the barrel.
0: <sighs> okay. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your day wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Um, and we will see you soon. Bye. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman-Hall. Executive producer of this show is Michael DeAloya.
1: You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover-cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopingpictures.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at pictures, and would love to hear from you there. And if you love sleepover cinema, if it's
0: become a staple of your weekly routine, or if it's a new show you've been listening to, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share an episode with a few friends.
1: Maybe even both. We'll chat again soon. Bye. Bye. And Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.
0: This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.